Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. The premise of this podcast is that I try to talk to all different types of women and learn to listen to them from all different parts of the country, all different ages, all different backgrounds. And so that means that I take my uh, gear with me to record whenever I go anywhere and see who I can get to play along with my little game, my little premise. And so uh, when I went to visit my brother and his sons in upstate New York, I took along my little Marantz solid-state digital audio recorder and my microphones. And I got my, um, went to see my brother, my full-blood brother that I discovered at midlife. And he lives due south of Rochester in a tiny place, 8,000 people called Wellsville, New York. Doesn't even have a Walmart. Uh, Has family dollar. And I talked to his ex-wife, who he gets along with pretty well, and she is raising their two sons, one of which she took off to college that week. And she is an educator by profession, has two master's degrees, nationally board certified, and an expert in literacy. So we talk about her being a mom and also about her uh, feelings about education. But I want you to know, so much of this is because I'm able to sit on the couch with the ceiling fan on, tin-type ceiling, got a hole in the ceiling, this 120-year-old house, and, um, and just talk to people who are not necessarily celebrities, but I learn so much. It does cost money to do this if you're interested in supporting the mission of listening to powerful women who bounce back, who have lessons for us all, can just go to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, Patreon. Look for man listening, one word. Thanks so much. Taking children out of their bubble. I mean, you can't just stay in small town America. What is the sound of one man listening? This is Man Listening, a fresh podcast featuring the stories of strong women who bounce back. Man Listening because every woman deserves to be heard. Hi there, I'm Stuart Watson. Welcome to Man Listening. Tessa Levitt, I guess you would call her my ex-sister-in-law. The woman is brilliant. She has two master's degrees and um, works no longer in the classroom in education, but uh, in administration uh, in the New York State public school system. And so we talk about that. We talk about schooling, how important it is, and how important it is in her role as a mom to supplement and augment that education. And she has a lot of hot takes. She schooled me, I've learned a lot, and I really admire her. I admire what she's done with her sons, my nephews, that she's a very good ex-wife. So without further ado, Tessa Levitt. Where were you born? Um, In Illinois. Where in Illinois? Uh, Actually a small town outside where my parents grew up. Um, called Princeton, Illinois. 
Is that south? It is due west of Chicago. But it's a ways out. Yep, a few hours. So it's not even the exurbs. No, it's not even the suburbs. Very small town, farming town. That's where my parents grew up in Walnut, Illinois. So the closest, like a little bit bigger town, and it's not that big, would be Princeton where like the hospital was and things like that. Did you grow up in this little town? No, I never really, I didn't grow up in um, Walnut or Princeton. My parents moved to Dixon, Illinois, which was like 30 minutes away. And then I stayed there until in middle school, I moved down south. Down south meaning where? Easily South Carolina. How hard of an adjustment was that? Uh, it wasn't too bad. I definitely loved everything about the south, still do. Um, I love the southern way. I love the food. I love how they talk. I love the family atmosphere, the camaraderie, I think, of like the south. It's hard to explain. Now, my wife is from upstate New York, where you're living now. Right. And she says that people are every bit as friendly in upstate New York. Right. I, I would probably agree with that now that I've lived here for a while. Yeah. I had a really hard adjustment moving here, but I think it was because I had gone through a divorce, I was single, I was moving to a small town, never really lived in a tiny, tiny town, and... I was older, I was, you know, fervishly looking for a job, I had a three and a four year old, so it was friends or making friends wasn't really a priority, it was hanging out with my parents, getting a job, getting my voice settled. And then I was like, oh, probably need a few friends. <laughs> but I don't think, you know, when you're in your 30s, your friends aren't as important as they are like in your teens and in your 20s. Right. So it was, it was kind of like that little bit of that age switch where you have kids and your party as your kids not making friends. So I kind of had to figure out how to balance that in a town that I wasn't from. And it was a much smaller town than I was from, so. And Wellsville, when I grew up in the South, I thought all of New York was the city. Right. One big asphalt and. I think a lot of people are still like that because when I moved here and I was like, oh, I'm moving to New York. They're like, oh, you live in New York City. I'm like, I'm about as far as you can get from New York City. Right. Just in this the state. Because it's how, a huge state. How many people live in Wellsville? Wellsville, about 8,000. Okay. So, and it's not growing? Not really. It used to be, I guess, around 15,000 back hmm. when Alstom and Dresserian were here. But um, as bigger companies have moved out, whether they've you know moved to another part of the state or whether they've moved out of state because of the taxes, um, we've lost people over yeah. the last... 10, 12 years. So why not pick up and move back down to South Carolina? Well, now I'm in the teacher retirement in New York, and I can't give that up again. Because when I moved up here, I had to, South Carolina is different. They don't have a teacher retirement like I have here. And so to start over again at my age, I would have to work for the rest of my life. And I can see the end tunnel, you know. So you've got how many years in the New York system? 15. And so in five, you're probably eligible for something. Right? right, if I wanted, but five's way too soon. I'll probably do close, I'll probably do close to 30. I'll definitely do 25, because that's only so, 10 more years, and I've got you know two kids going to college and life. Yeah, yeah. Or you could like completely change 
industries, but that would be. I could, I could, definitely. There's not a whole lot of industries that um, have like a retirement system anymore. Yeah. You know, and I'm a little bit dependent on that only because I'm not the best saver for retirement. Yeah. I'm a good saver for things that I want to do <laughs> or get, but I'm not necessarily a great retirement saver. So I have, you know, my retirement system and then hopefully I'll. Well, as a single mom, it's pretty hard to be a saver. Yes, it is. A single mother of two. Right. Yeah. And you think boys are cheaper than girls, but it's just the same amount of money, if not more, in different ways because they want bigger things. Like? Cars, four-wheelers, basketball courts, decking out their cars, <laughs> which my youngest has been doing with his own money. Um, co you know, college is expensive. They seem like good kids. I, I, I want to tell you that they are, I mean, they're polite or good athletically and academically. I know that you really had to push them on that. Um, like you, they're like, why? Why do I have to? Mm -hmm. And now it's paying off because they're getting into schools. They have options of the schools they want to go to. It's not just I have to go to whatever. So you did a good job, Tessa. Well, thank you. That's a ton of work. It's a ton of work. Shout out to all the single moms, for sure. It's, it's definitely hard work, whether you're a single mom or a single dad. Yeah. For purposes of understanding you, not to get in a long story, but right. just to understand you, what should I know about your mother? Um, well, my parents got married young. They were high school sweethearts. My dad left a D1 school with full scholarship for baseball. Wow. To marry my mom at 19, and then they had me. So my mom was blessed enough to um, be able to pretty much stay at home with both my brother and I and raise us. Um, and my dad worked. Sometimes he worked a couple jobs because he was working on taking his college courses right at night school and then working during the day so I'm sure that was extremely tough even though in the 70s times were different I think than they are now but when we do compare generations or decades that every decade has its own something something in my opinion um, so in the 70s early 80s uh, my parent my dad worked and my mom stayed at home and she had gone to beauty school after high school, so she would cut people's hair, they'd come over to the house, give them perms, things like that, to make a little money. And then she was kind of the, the uh, mother that stayed home. So some of the mothers that were working, you know, my mom would watch their kids. And those were the days where you pretty much got up, ate breakfast, and went outside and played all day until you were called in for lunch. Then you ate a sandwich, usually, you know, Wonder Bread and some kind of sandwich and some chips and he went out back out to play and came home at five. <laughs> so um, my mom did a good job. My mom was one of those mothers though, which I did not have this luxury, of if we were being rude or we were getting in trouble, my dad would, my mom would say, just wait till your dad gets home. When you were a little, little girl, like two years old, your mother would say, Tessa, she was so, what? What kind of little girl were you? I don't know. I really don't remember that long ago. 
but what would she say about you? Like if she had home movies or if she had pictures or photographs or anything, she would say, when you were little, you were so... I think she would say that I was really helpful with my brother, with him being like around two, you know, and I've always like, you know, wanted to go into education, been like, had your baby dolls when you're little and liked to play house and, you know, like to play the mother role and, and things like that. So I think she would say that. I'm not 100% sure. So did you always know you were going to be a mom? Yeah, it was non-negotiable. Always so wanted to be a mom. High school, 20s, you still, I'm going to be a mom. Non-negotiable. I have two of my best friends from high school were, I don't think I want to be a mom. And I was like, what? Like, I couldn't even fathom that. And both of them are not mothers. Oh. They stuck to their guns. They made their decisions. They made their decision. It just wasn't their thing. And one of my friends, um, one of them just wanted to travel the world, and that's exactly what she does. And Anne, I don't know. Um, I think if, if it would have all worked out and the timing would have been right and she would have married the right person, she might have eventually had kids. She would have definitely been an older mom. What did you do in high school? What were you like? Probably I was the, uh, a good friend slash I would help people with their homework because that's following rules and I never, ever, ever did not turn in an assignment. So did you get paid to do that? Oh, or? no. But they'd be like, oh, can you help me out with the answers? I'm sure. So that was like being a natural born teacher. Yeah, maybe. Now, the same as you knew you I don't wanted... know giving people the answers is necessarily... <laughs> oh, did you give them yeah, the answers? Yeah, I would just, yeah, like, here you go. I, got, but I already did it. But that's not cheating. Like, you wouldn't help them cheat. No, no. Just like, you know, back in the day when I went to high school, we would get, like, 20 vocabulary words, and we had to look up, like, old school definition, and I just, you know, I'd just do it. Like, mm. the definitions. Here, I'll share the definitions with you or whatever. The ones you didn't finish. Ah. That kind of stuff. Did you always know you wanted to be a teacher? I think so, since about fifth grade. How do you know that when you look back? Because, like, my mom saved some of my things, and I always remember, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a teacher. And it seems to be like a fifth grade thing you do when you're leaving elementary school and going into middle school. And I feel like it's a middle school thing going into high school. What do you want to be when you grow up? Teacher, teacher, teacher. So I didn't even have to think about it. What was your fifth grade idea of what a teacher did? Like, why did it seem fun? I think I'm obsessed with like reading and being able to be a good reader. So I think I remember my teachers, you know, teaching reading or reading a chapter book to us and kind of the joy of being read aloud to. So I think I just wanted to kind of encompass that. And I really did want to be an elementary teacher because you have the same kids all day and you know you get to have almost like a family with them all day long teach them everything so and then I always thought about you know how am I going to set up my classroom kind of structure it's difficult for me to fathom growing up in a home where someone would not read to you because that is such it's almost like a hug or someone making you a good meal right um so you read to your boys, right? Yep, until they were older. What are some of your favorite books, like when you were a little girl, that, to, be, to be read to you, and what are some of the books that you read to the boys? Right, so my favorite book growing up was Goodnight Moon. Oh, I wanted yeah. to have it read to me over and over, to the point where you memorize it, so you think you're reading it, right? 
Yeah. Um, so definitely always read that one to my kiddos. And then as a, as a, a teacher and just even in my own like journey of discovering authors as far as like kids books, um, a couple of my favorite authors were um, Cynthia Ryland or it are Cynthia Ryland and um, Trisha Palacco. So I always made sure I was reading those books. Is there a difference between books you read to girls and books you read to boys when they're little? Or do you think pretty much everything goes? I think everything goes. Yeah. The, all the way up, women read more than men. Women buy more books than men. Uh, and this has been true for a while. This is not a recent phenomena. Why is that? I hate to say women have more time because I definitely don't have time any more time than anyone else. I don't know. I really think men commit to shorter things like a newspaper article or a magazine versus like a fictional or non-fictional book. Well, it goes to language, you know, and you were a classroom teacher, right? Right. So was there a difference in the way you approached reading or books or any of that with girls and boys? Were there boy books and girl books? I mainly taught third and fourth grade in my career. So I was mindful of having, a, and I tried to do it, equally have more of the narrative books, you know, like the story books, versus, and have a lot of nonfiction based on my students' interests. So growing up in the South or teaching in the South, a lot of kids hunt and fish, uh, camp, you know, know a lot about the sea or the ocean. So I made sure I had enough books, you know, based on their interests, I think, in order to kind of feed the reading soul of a, of a boy versus maybe girls. I, that's the only thing I can really think of that I would have done different for boys and girls. Now, how much leeway do you get to pick your books and sort of say, you know, you might like this book, or I was thinking of you and your personality with this book, as opposed to saying, no, the state of New York says you will read these books. Um, you have a little bit of both here in New York State. Um, there's definitely book lists, right? Do you remember the, um, in 2010, 11, when the Common Core came out? Because it was kind of a national education I know movement. that phrase, and... I also know there's a lot of yelling about it. Right. So um, for Common Core in the state of New York, it was a huge shift in standards from the traditional standards that we had for many, many years to Common Core state standards. New York likes to put their spin on everything they do. <laughs> so eventually around 2014, 15 maybe, I don't know exactly, New York kind of modified and adjusted Common Core state standards because of all the backlash and reworked some of the wording and now they're called New York State Common Core state standards. So standards are usually revised around every seven years. So New York State is under a standards revision right now. Uh, it's been pushed out a few years because of the worldwide pandemic. They were supposed to have rolled out and when I say rolled out, they're out. They're just not being assessed yet. And so that should happen next year. They've been pushed out to next year, but we'll see what happens. 
because you know we're here right now as as schools are starting to open up in September in New York um, kind of trying to figure out how we're going back are we going back the same we did last year so six feet masked uh, social distancing or are we going to have a little bit of a looser uh, regulations so uh, with um, the issues with our governor it's really kind of up to the schools right now to kind of figure out what that oh looks. you mean with Cuomo out that's a kind of a vacuum and you're you're you guys are it's, trying we're to being affected by it a little bit so the state ed department of education came in and put out some guidelines because they thought something should be there so now it's kind of up to the individual schools in the next few weeks to make sure that they have their their reopening plan as it's called um, in place the role of moms single or otherwise filling in the gaps of schools making sure not just that kids get their homework done but that kids go to museums kids go out in the park they can identify trees and nature and so i definitely did not teach them anything about trees or turtles <laughs> <laughs> that is not in my wheelhouse i did read with them um, probably until maybe third grade um, not that I didn't read with them after. It was more of what, what they were bringing home from the library and things like that. We had a um, upstairs. It's now Sam's studio. I don't know if he showed you where he does his tufting, but it was like a, just like a little nook. Tufting? Tufting, which making rugs. Oh, okay. So, I didn't even know he did that. Yeah, he, he started it last school year, and then he broke his arm, and so it was a little hard to tuft toward the end of the school year, but... He kind of self-taught himself how to do it by watching YouTube videos, asking for the equipment basically for Christmas uh, between my parents and I. So um, I think, and I think Andy got him the tufting gun. So we kind of we kind of divided and conquered so he could have the materials to uh, kind of see if this was something he was interested in. He does love it, but like I said, he was doing a lot of it, and then he got hurt. And he was sort of mid-designs. So my dad started watching YouTube videos and kind of taught himself so he could help, he could be his hands, basically, for the end of the school year. So back to your question about being the mother of trying to add to their education. My uh, vision for that was to take them places. So all my extra, anytime I was saving money, I was saving money for a trip. So whether it was taking them to New York City, whether it was taking them to Cleveland one year and going to the aquarium and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, whether it was going to the beach down south, Florida, California, you know, Chicago, those types of experiences. So kind of the experience of travel, if you will, and being able to experience those museums and things like that. And looking like we live in a small town where there's not a lot of um, those types of items, but there's or places, I should say. But in Rochester and in, in Buffalo, there's lots of opportunity. There's Niagara Falls. There's um, the Children's Museum of Play in Rochester. So just, you know, taking advantage of, hey, you want to try roller skating? Hey, you want to try ice skating? Hey, let's go. Hockey's not huge down south. Let's go to a hockey game. You know, those types of um, learning adventures, I guess you would say. How do you, on the one hand, educate your children that there's a bigger world that you're welcome to without them developing a kind of, because I did it, contempt for the small place that you came from. 
How do you engender respect for people who choose to live in Wellsville, New York? Right. I think Sam's struggling with that right now, actually, or has been for probably like the last 18 months. Um, he kind of has a big world picture. And so sometimes he says things like, oh, I can't wait to leave Wellsville. Uh, I can't wait to go to the city. Uh, part of his school choice um, was to at least be in some kind of bigger town or city. So that's one of the reasons he picked Buff State, just to, just to have more options, I think. I think it's tough because even though Wellsville is the biggest town in the county, it's still super small. We don't even have a Kmart anymore to run and, you know, pick up something that we may There's need. no Walmart, let alone a super Walmart. Right. We have to drive 30 minutes to go to that. But at the same time, I think he appreciates the or all, all three of us appreciate you know, the kind of the camaraderie of when something bad happens, people lobby around you, for lack of a better word. So this year's been a rough year for our family in 2021 in that Eli had a severe injury, Sam had a severe injury. Uh, not being in school full time is tough on kids. I think when tragedy hits or whatever you want to say, or there's a bump in the road, it doesn't even have to be tra tragedy. In a smaller community, people rally around you. So I think he appreciates that, or we all appreciate that. But at the same time, I think it goes back to what we were talking about before. I think it goes back to giving, taking children out of their bubble. I mean, you can't just stay in small town America. You, you may want to live there for its advantages, but then you also have to know that I need to have that opportunity or those experiences in a bigger city like where you're seeing museums or you're experience, experiencing some kind of cultural culturalism that they bring into the city or you know, a festival or something like that. By the same token, if you grew up in Manhattan and you have to do business in Houston, if you've never been to Houston, right. you're going to be at a distinct disadvantage. You need to understand that the whole world is not, not Manhattan. That's funny you said that because I was just talking to uh, Sam's girlfriend, Maddie's. Uh, she was telling a story uh, about her sister who goes to college in Oneana and her, a couple of her friends that she met were from the city. And when they were driving to college, they were in awe when they drove by a farm with cows. <laughs> And then they saw deer just running on the side of the road and they were like, oh, wow. Like they weren't even sure what to call them. So stories like that, you know, when you hear, oh, you've been in the city so long that you don't even realize that most of the state of New York, right, is hilly and green grasses and mountainous and tons and tons of farms. You just kind of forget that if you don't get outside your bubble. When I moved up here and people are like, so much wine is made in Western New York. I was like, what? And I was driving to Geneva, New York, for a workshop for work. And I'm driving there, and I look over, and I had heard about all of these wine dreams on the Finger Lake, but I'm like, whatever. Literally, I could have parked my car in the grassy, walked less than 100 feet, and I would have been able to pick grapes. And they're just literally along the roadside, you know, vineyard after vineyard after vineyard. And I was like, oh my gosh. And it's oftentimes compared to Napa Valley. And I was like, what? 
but now my parents have a lake house on Cuca, so now I really get to enjoy the whole idea of the Finger Lakes and sort of the history of the Finger Lakes and all of the parks and the waterfalls. Like, if you told me that's what New York encompassed, I would have been like, no way. Yeah. You know, let alone Niagara Falls. You're going to be an empty nester in like a year, right? Total stress of mine. Total what? Total stress for me. Why isn't it whoopee, I'll do whatever the hell I want? Why is it a stressor? Because I'm a little bit of a mother hen. <laughs> I'm one of those mothers who I like to know exactly what they're doing, where they're at. So uh, this is, yeah, it's been, a, uh, it's been tough. I'm, I'm interested to see if, how much or if I cry on Thursday or if it's going to take a couple of days to hit me when I drop Sam off. He's right up the road, Tessa. I, I understand that. But he's I'm not going to you, California. I like to know, like, what are you doing? Where are you? I just, I'm just so used to being in the know. And when you do everything, you know, you just get in that habit. But I've tried, I tried about, and, oh, and then the pandemic happened. So it's hard to say, but I tried to start, you know, being a little more, um, as I would call it, laid back and not worry about every little, where are you, where are you going? I just, I just like to know. And so I know that I'm not gonna know and I just worry. Yeah. You know, I think after, I, I always wonder, like I did it. Like my parents dropped me off and left, you know. Um, but you're not your parents. I I'm mean. definitely not my parents. But um, yeah, I just worry. Um, Sam's always been one that wants to go and explore. Eli's a little bit more of a homebody. So I know we, we, we being Eli and I, we talk about it all the time. Like, what's it going to be like when it's just him and I, you know? So I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea how I'm going to handle it. I'm just going to take it one day at a time. What I'm wondering is like right now, when is Tessa time? When is when Tessa? When do I get Tessa time? Do you get any Tessa time? I mean, now that they're older and they both have cars and they're a little more independent, I definitely get Tessa time, more than I did even a year ago. So what do you do with that? What do you enjoy? Well, you see all the books laying around here. I'm always in about three or four books at a time. And what are most, you reading? Most of them are for work. Um, I listen to Audible for narrative, because if not, I would get no narrative in. So what are you listening to? Uh, right now I'm listening to The Last Thing He Said to Me. Novel? Yep, a novel. Um, for work, I thought it was over there. Oh, it's over there. I am reading uh, this book called Onward, and it's all about uh, taking care of yourself, so self-care, and uh, being the best version of yourself, so you can be the best version for your family, or in this case, for your for your classroom. Can I say there's something funny about reading a book about self-care for work? Like they're they're forcing <laughs> you. You will have self-care. Well, I'm gonna we're we're uh, doing a book study. A, a colleague and I are doing a book study on that book with a school district, so I have to read it. Um, this is interesting enough. I've only read the first chapter, but um, I went to it's see. It's called. Creating magic, and it's all based on the Disney experience and what we can learn from it and turnkey it in our own lives. And I went to see a speaker, not him, not the author, but just a, a speaker uh, that tells you all the little uh, tricks, I guess. Why does that interest you? Like, it interests me because I'm a curious person, but I mean, during Tessa time, why are you spending a millisecond? Well, because I think those are cool facts. They are cool facts. Um, it's because you're a curious person, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. And also I think that like 
Magic Kingdom, right? We all want to make um, schools magical for students. And I know from personal experience, I have one child who likes school and one school, one child that doesn't really like school. Um, that hurts my heart because I love everything about education and schooling. So I just want it to be like a great place for all students, not just my own children. If we uh, eradicated all grades, do you think that would go a long way? And just said, hey, what do you want to know? What do you want to learn about? Um, that's funny you said that because I have really been thinking about grades and their purpose and how we still kind of live under archaic grading. Um, I think some of that is driven by higher ed though because they want that SAT score, they want that GPA. Um, I think if we, I think there's some basic things kids need to know, absolutely, right? You need to know how to read, write, and communicate. I don't care what you wanna do in life, you need to be able to read, write, and communicate. That's essential. Uh, math after algebra one, unless you're going into a math career, don't know that you need it. Um, I probably could get away with not even knowing much about algebra one in my life you know, my day-to-day -day life. I definitely think you need to know about our country. I definitely think that that's important. Uh, I think you need to know basic sciences, but after that, I think that it could definitely be more choice in kind of choosing a career path. And I would like to see feedback over grades, like truly giving a student feedback to be their best. I just feel like that higher ed is on the verge of uh, implosion and explosion in the sense that um, we desperately need plumbers, electricians, people who can repair cars, the, hole in, ceiling. the hole in your ceiling. Right. Um, and that, that you can make more money as a master plumber than you can as a law school grad nowadays. Absolutely. If you just do it, you know, or a general contractor, for God's sakes. So. I don't know where, there's a wonderful book called Shop Class as Soul Craft. Soul, S-O-L. S-O-U-L. Shop Class as okay. Soul Craft. And it was about where did we start kind of holding in contempt people who do what your ex-husband did, the trades. Right. Everybody just absolutely needs them. And my dad, God bless him, respected the mechanic who, and he said, he doesn't try to practice law and I don't try to fix my car. Right. I pay him what he tells me that I need for my car. And then if he needs his will done or right. redone, we'll yeah, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll do his will, you right. know? And it's not like one person is above the right. other. And I don't know when that happened. I don't either. Cause I know when I was in high school, going into the trades was, pretty well respected. You know, I just always knew I wanted to be in education, so I needed, I needed, I knew I needed at least a four-year degree. Right. You know? Um, but you did way beyond that. I did. After How many masters do you have? Two. But then what was the thing you did National at Wellesley? National Board Certification. So, that was the Wellesley. No, I didn't go to Wells Wellesley. Cambridge? Uh, Cambridge. Cambridge. I went to Cambridge for my first masters. Then this is I'd, Cambridge, Massachusetts. Yes, Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, and then I went and did national boards. Um, what are the two masters in? And then I did my admin through SUNY Brockport here in, well, in New York. I don't know what admin is. Administration. 
So, so it's a master's in public administration? In just administration. Master's in administration, mm -hmm. and then what's the other master's? Literacy, master's in literacy. And are you the one who told me grades one through three, you learn K through two, you learn to read, three and above, you read to learn. Yep. And so if you don't learn to read in those three years, you're Behind the hampered yep. for the rest because they assume that they can hand you text. Yep. And so if you're dyslexic and they don't pick it up. It's a slippery slope. It's, it's, it's a problem because you keep right. getting more and more and frustrated. Exactly. And you're getting older and older, right? And it just, it, it's harder to rewire that brain. The sooner you can do it, the better. And a lot of people have light bulb moments, as I call them, at different times. You know, it was later in life. For, for me, I struggled to learn how to read. But in, at the end of second grade, the light bulb went off and I didn't feel like I was the stupidest person on the planet. And I was like, oh, I get this. This makes sense. And then from there on, I was able to read well. Yeah. I have to say, if your sons went to public schools in the state of South Carolina, they would not be, as a rule, or North Carolina, if your sons went to schools in the South, they would not be as prepared for college as they are going to schools in New York where they spend so much more money. On per, per, per pupil? Yes. I think that's also school driven though. Oh, so what you're saying is you can find gyms in the South and you can find duds in the North. Yep, absolutely. I think that's everywhere though. It takes- But I think holis holistically, New York as a whole, yes, has a decent education system. Right. I think it used to be, be better, um, but I don't, I don't really know because I, I didn't go to school here, but just you know what people have said over the years about how education in the 90s in New York was different than it is now. Is a lot of that cultural in the sense that if they took you and plopped you in a school district in the Bronx, that you would culturally, you would have to like get up to speed culturally so much to be able to reach the kids because the demographic, the number of immigrants, the number of non-English speakers where the parents don't speak English, you know, would be completely different from what I can tell in Wellsville, New York. is pretty white. It's yeah, just like... It is definitely white around here. I'm talking um, like 90%. Yeah, actually, our our school our school system is like ninety eight point six percent white in the region. Oh my God, it's crazy. Not indicative of New York as a whole oh, at gosh, all. Oh gosh, no. If your son said, "I want to join the Marine Corps," like my father and his father, you would have said what? I hate to say this out loud, but I just, again, I'm a mother hen, and I don't know if I can handle it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say, no, you can't do that, right? Because obviously it's their life, their choice. But at the same time, I know me as a mama would be like this all the time. I would be stressed out to the hilts. If your son said, I want to go to community college and learn about plumbing, you would say? Absolutely. My brother did it. Um, I think that the trades are a great way to start your own business. Um, fall in love with something that you love. I also think that it's great to have those skills because 
I think about as especially as a male and just being able to take care of some of the stuff in your house when you grow up and you get married and you buy your first house or even if you don't get married just being able to fix your own things like having that knowledge base to be able to fix a pipe or work on a car I think that is a necessity to have that basic understanding I, th I, I wish I had a little bit more of it thank goodness for YouTube, right? Because you can watch a lot of videos and learn how to do basic things. But I think that that's very important um, for everyone to kind of have a basic understanding of your heating system, your piping system, if you're gonna own a home. If your son said, I would like to take the money that it would cost to graduate a four-year institution, which we're talking about minimum six figures now, and I would like to take $100,000 and begin, uh, set up a web page and begin selling my rugs online and then sell other people's rugs. I would like to go all in on Etsy, promotion, get myself a little manufacturing shop, start trading with other rug dealers. You would say... Let me see your business plan, <laughs> probably. Um, something like that, just to make sure there was a plan in place to not burn through the money. Um, my dad left Dresser and started his own business, huge success. My brother went to Alfred State, started his own business, plumbing and heating business, huge success. Uh, so I know it can be done. I just think you have to. Have I think the Tessa is a huge success. Well, thank you. Do you, do you feel that? Um, I feel like I'm definitely successful in some areas of my life. But I also, uh, now that I'm a little bit older, I've been thinking about where were those, um, I don't know, stop signs along the way where I didn't take a risk. Does that make sense? Where maybe if I would have taken a risk, this would have happened. I feel like sometimes I play it too safe. Does that make sense? Okay. Level of regret. Having kids. Oh, no, that was non-negotiable. Getting married. Nope, non-negotiable. Marrying who you married, <laughs> probably. Um, I mean, I saw signs, and in my brain at the time, I said, oh, I can change that. <laughs> now I realize, now that I'm not in my 20s, that you can't really change a person. Yeah. They have to change themselves. May I also say, you're a wonderful ex-wife. Oh, thank you. You have the patience of Job. I don't know about that. Sometimes I do not have the patience and I lose it, but thank you. I think overall, yes, but not always. What's an example of if you hit the Powerball and you had, let's say conservatively, 30, 50 million dollars. If you did have money to burn, like right. you could fail with, you could fail grandly in seven or even eight figures. So one thing I would love to do is start a charter school, to be honest. You can do that without the money. You can raise the money for that if the idea is good enough. True, true. Um, but I wouldn't have to convince other people to invest. <laughs> I could totally start my own charter school with, um, without necessarily the business plan and like, for lack of a better word, knocking on the doors of people who can help fund. That would definitely be something I would do. Um, actually with uh, one of my colleagues and I, we, we pie in the sky talk about if we had our charter school or our dream school, this is what we'd do. Um, so that's something I would do. Well, what, what would that school be like? What would distinguish it? It would have consistent curriculum that builds from year to year. Like, what does that mean? I don't, what kind of curriculum? 
Um, like curriculum that's systematic and explicit. So what you learn in kindergarten is then built on in um, first grade, second grade, third grade, all the way up. Uh, you could stick with something a little bit longer. So you don't just do a six-week unit on the Civil War, right? You learn a lot about it all along the way. It's not just in one grade level. You could do the charter school thing. I know. Without. Again, I'm not a risk taker. I like to play it safe. I think about job offers I had when I was younger, and I was like, no, I want to kind of stay close to where my friends are. And now I was like, I should have taken that job. Who knows where it would have gotten me. I had an offer from like state ed, and I was like, I've only been teaching for four years. I can't work at state ed. I mean, imagine. Yeah. You know, and I had an in. Yeah. yeah I knew people. So I just am like, I should have said yes, but I just get so, I think, comfortable. I just, I wish I would have been a risk taker or more of a risk taker when I was younger. Well, there's still time. I know, but, you know, eventually I'm thinking I'm not going to work, but. Yeah. You can't have anyone who is a leader or a servant without being able to point to where they sacrificed. And you have sacrificed in where you live and how much money you make and how many hours a day you spend with the boys. I see you as having sacrificed, like you can point to it. You can put dollar figures on it. Um, and the thing about that is you can point to those boys. And say they're worth the sacrifice? Sure. Definitely. I mean, it was hard for me to leave the South and move up here, for sure. But we did it, and it turned out good. So why'd you do it? Um, because all of my friends and I were all having kids around the same time, and everyone's like, we'll, we'll help each other. We'll be fine. But friends only go so far, because like, everyone gets in their life and gets in their clusters, right? And I knew that my parents would be able to help me run kids or pick them up from school if I had to work late, that kind of stuff, versus always having to depend on a network of friends that may or may not live there in five years. So it was to be with family. It was to be close to family. Because grandma and grandpa will always be there. Right, they have ended up being my support system. 24-7 childcare if you need it. They're right. there. Exactly. And it worked out great because my mom worked in the school system, so she was on their exact same schedule. Mm. So it was super easy because there's some mornings I leave but before they go to school. So she would come over, make sure they're ready, take them to school. Um, or school gets out here at like 2.33. I do not get off work at 2.30 or 3. You know, when they were little, little, like elementary school, they went to Montessori, which was literally across the street from the school. So they just, you know, the Montessori teachers would go pick up the crew from the school and bring them across. So that was nice. But that only was through fifth grade. So then when they were in middle school, high school. And then once they got older and had cars, it hasn't been an issue at all for travel. So We're really changing everything about the way we look at school. We don't even look at math the same. We don't look at language the same. We don't look at you know all the things we thought were the core. We don't look at them the same. And let's hope we don't pass. Let's hope we don't waste the pandemic as another look at what school could be. Yeah. Because what, if you read some of the research, what they've found is this, uh, kids who 
um, don't necessarily love school or have attention deficit disorder can get on a Zoom call or connect digitally, however, however, and they don't have the classroom distractions. And so they can focus on what they need to focus. And a lot of them flourished during the pandemic. A lot of kids need to be in school and need that structure, need those reminders, need that kind of traditional setting. So I hope that we will all, as an educational community in the United States of America, look at schooling and be able to offer options, right? I think about charter schools or private schools. There's, we, we offer options, right? But many, like around here, there are no charter schools. It's not an option. You have the public school or you have the Catholic school. That's what you got. Um, there's not a lot or of- Or you go away. You could, you could conceivably go away to school. You could pick up and move. True, you could, but some people can't pick up and move. They don't have the resources to do that. How about homeschooling? You could definitely homeschool, but you have to be the, the right parent to homeschool. What does that mean? What is the right parent? I, I couldn't homeschool. Because? I think it's hard to teach your own children after a certain age, just the patience level. You would have to have a really good I think you would have to have a really good network. Um, I think that the home schools, I don't know tons about it, but they get in those networks and they kind of have a, a system where it's a many homeschooling families and they get together and, you know, one mother say, I'm really good at math, I'm really good at science, I can teach this art class, and they kind of share the load. I know some, some areas call them like learning pods. Hmm. where, you know, parents get together, but usually those are parents with money. What is the role of schools in engendering this kind of respect or basic social glue that seems to be so absent in the food fight or the shout fest that is our American culture now? I feel like that's hopefully temporary, honestly. Uh, I think it comes down to uh, adult modeling from the home to the school to the home to the school to your church family to your extended family to the people you hang out with. Unfortunately, you can't control a lot of that, but I do definitely think we need to get back to just basic kindness or even manners in it to win it together. Holding a door for someone. Saying thank you. One thing that I really respect about Sam is that he had, definitely has good manners. And he's really good, he's really good at this, and this is not my superpower, so I'm not sure where he got it from, is like looking at the person when they are speaking to him. We were at, I can't remember if it was Target or Walmart doing college shopping. And this little kid, probably 12, walks up and it's like giving him this huge compliment about his t-shirt that he has on. I mean. In a, in a passing thing and he stopped what he was doing totally looked at her listened to her story smiled and said thank you for comp the compliment and then I think he said something to her about whatever she was doing and I was like wow you know wow because I just don't see that a lot with a 17 or 18 year old well social skills that's the other thing or people should teach you about like how to get insurance or mm -hmm. buy a car or you know, how to shop to whether to pay rent or buy right. or... I know, that financial literacy piece. Or when you go to a grocery store, which grocery store you go to. Right. And, 
I know it's it's crazy. It's crazy. And I think about that too. Like I learned that on the hard hard knocks. Yeah. You know, like I got a credit card and I didn't realize like I had to pay the bill. Like I knew I had to pay it back. But you know, you start getting those bills and you're like, Oh, and there's interest. Oh, it's seventeen percent. Well the bike was let's say it was only five hundred dollars, now I owe eight hundred. You know, and then you're in debt at 21 years old, paying off a credit card because, you know, you didn't read the fine print or whatever. So I, I think that's essential. If we get hit by lightning today and the only thing that survives is this piece of audio, what is your legacy? Besides my kids? Well, I think I'd like to be remembered as I was kind and I was a hard worker. Dedicated. Definitely dedicated. I try not to do anything half-assed. They can count on you. Yep. If you say you'll do something, you'll do it. Yep, definitely. But your kids are probably your greatest legacy. Absolutely. That's why I said besides my kids. What about your kids? What about them? Yeah. Like, it's not just that you passed along the TNA. I oh, mean, what right. about them? Yeah. Um, well, I spoke a little bit about, you know, Sam. He definitely is, is well-rounded. I think that will do him well. And Eli, Eli's, this is Eli's superpower. And we, it's funny, we recently have all talked about it. Eli is, he is what you get, what you see is what you get. And another one of my things that I completely, that's my one thing I respect about him, he is not fake at all. He is, this is who I am, take me or leave me. He doesn't try to be something he's not. And I think at 16 years old to be like that, and he's been like that since I can remember, but I've really noticed it in his teenage years because I see teenagers trying to figure out who they are and who they're not. And sometimes that gets muddy for a while. And he has always been, this is me, this is who I am, take me or leave me. And he is stuck to that. And it is astounding that he can do that at his age. Because if you do that, then the friends you have are real friends. Right. Because they know you who, for who you are. Exactly. And he doesn't have to be fake to get friends because he does, it, he's just not fake. It is, it is amazing. And it, I've only, it's really only dawned on me in his like teenage years and I've kind of watched it evolve and I'm just always in awe of it. I think all the time, if I could have been like that at 16, 17 years old, I probably would have taken those risks. I honor and respect what you have done professionally and with your kids. Thank and you. Thank you for making time to do this. No problem, and I didn't even have to do much prep work. Thank you, Tessa. You're welcome. So Tessa did, in fact, take her son, Sam, to college just days after our interview, and there, there were tears shed. It's hard. It's hard letting go of your kids. A lot of people are doing that at time, this time of the year. Some of them for the first time, and I still remember it. I would still love it if my kids all lived at home. But I wish Sam nothing but the best, and Tessa, God bless with you and Eli. It was great of you to take time. Thanks so much. Man Listening is a production of Unmediated LLC in cooperation with the Queen City Podcast Network and Balto Creative Media. Allison Andrews at Andrews Creative and Rachel Clapp Miller are developmental producers. Sally Higgins at Higgins and Owens tries to keep us legal. Our music is A Day at the Park by the group Pictures of the Floating World. Your announcer is Catherine Smith. 
that's me. Please go to our Patreon page. You'll find us at patreon.com. Look for Man Listening, one word, no spaces. We hope you'll join us by becoming a member. A small investment can raise up the conversation. If you want exclusive member merch, like a t-shirt, we can arrange that too. To everyone who has supported Man Listening in whatever way you have from the very beginning, whether it's your money, your prayers, your energy, your good energy, your feedback, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thanks so much. Don't forget to support us at Patreon. We believe one voice can change the conversation. Click the subscribe button and next week you'll hear... There's just no way God meant for me to be miserable at a job. So when I start not feeling it or not liking it, I'll be like, it's time for me to leave. That's next week on Man Listening. Thanks. Thanks.